welcome to the Far Post podcast. My name is not Marissa Lordanich. My name is Samantha Lewis, and I am joined by the one and only Anna Harrington for a bit of a different pod today. It's just the two of us. Harrow, welcome. Just the two of us, Sam, and thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a, as you say, it's a different experience for our listeners today. Just two sets of dulcet tones. Before we do get underway, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Rwandari and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Sam, as you mentioned, it is, there's no Marissa, there's no Angela, you might say it's just the two just of the us. two of us. <laughs> we need to work on that bit. <laughs> Oh, we'll get we'll get it in rhythm one day. We will make it if we try, Sam. We can make it if we try. We'll Through Aussie up. spirit, Aussie DNA, Harrow. That's what we need to draw upon in these moments. We will persist. We will endure. We will show our fighting spirit. And uh, we will get through this podcast together, just the two of us. Uh, we are, of course, coming to you on Monday and the Matildas squad for those games against Spain and Portugal is um, has just been announced. It's a different looking one. Sam, you've got the whole get up here, not just the squad announcement. Of course, the Socceroos are playing tomorrow morning. We'll be up bright and early at 4 a.m. Um, actually, bright's a bit much, I reckon. We're, we're not going to be looking too <laughs> sprightly. No, we'll be up early. We won't be up bright. The only thing that will be bright will be uh, the flame underneath my coffee maker because uh, I am going to be guzzling that stuff when I'm on the ABC Sport live blog to cover the game. Oh, I, I'm not working it. I'm just going to look like some sort of little meerkat just on the couch, just <laughs> trying, trying to watch with a screen. Like The brightness of the screen in my face will be the only bright and early. Um, <laughs> but we digress. Sam, We I've seen this Matilda squad come out it's a very different looking Matilda's squad um for the, these two games against Spain and Portugal which are on the 25th and 28th of June respectively so not that far away I mean probably the the talking point right Sam is who's not there first yep. of all Sam Kerr who else isn't there yeah, it's, uh, it's a really surprising Matilda squad. I think when this pair of friendlies was announced, particularly the game against Spain, a lot of Matilda's fans were like, excellent. This is perfect preparation for the Women's World Cup. Spain are obviously not even just an emerging nation anymore. They're a favourite to take out the Women's Euros later this year and potentially to take out next year's Women's World Cup as well. And so when it was announced that we'd be playing them for the first ever time, because we've never played Spain mm. in women's international football before everyone was like excellent this will be the perfect test for our senior starters the the absolute strongest squad to really get a sense of what this team is going to be like to play against and so we've got this squad coming out now and almost all of those senior starters are missing and I think initially it's a bit of a shock but once you understand the reasoning behind it it makes a lot of sense so the vast majority of the senior players uh, who we know and love in the Matildas uh, have all just completed or are sort of in the middle of their off seasons uh, in Europe, in their clubs. Mm. And after being assessed by Football Australia's sports science and medical and technical staff, a lot of those players, in consultation with the players as well, a lot of those senior players uh, were deemed to need a break, which, you know, we've talked on this podcast before about how 
massive the physical toll and the mental toll is on these players particularly when they were going back and forth between Australia and uh, and America and for some of these players including you know Alana Kennedy Kaya Simon this is the first off season that they've had in Mm. their professional careers really and so they're dealing with you know ongoing niggling little injuries they're dealing with fatigue some of them haven't spent an extended period of time with their families since before coronavirus so I think this decision um it makes a lot of sense in that particular context especially when you talk to the players like I spoke to Kaya Simon for example and she said you know we we need breaks like this because it means that not only our bodies but our minds can come back into the next window refreshed and actually enthusiastic and really wanting to to play well and so that's what I think everybody is sort of in agreement with at the national team level which is which is wonderful so we're not seeing Sam Kerr, which is, for fans, of course, it's going to be a real shame because she's just come off an unbelievable season with Chelsea. She's just won the PFA Players Player of the Year award. She's just, you know, as dazzling. Mm. Um, but she's not going to be there, which is great. You know, she's going to be back with her family and friends and, and spending some much-needed uh, time with them. But in addition to that, again, Kennedy, Kai Simon, uh, we're not going to be seeing Vice-Captain Steph Catley, uh, we're not going to be seeing um, Mary Fowler. We're not going to be seeing Corrigan Cross. We're not going to be seeing, of course, Ellie Carpenter as well, Caitlin who Ford. is out with an ACL. Caitlin Ford. Um, uh, yeah, so it's it's sort of the the most senior starting players that you identify with the Matildas. They're not going to be there, but every cloud comes with a silver lining, which we're going to talk about, Hara. That's right. And I assume you mean that silver lining was we got to see the Virgil van Dyke-esque following and tracking of Sam Kerr's <laughs> first flight back to Perth in almost two years by local news. Uh, you can see Sam Kerr rotating <laughs> slowly inside the plane bound for Perth. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Kerr has arrived back in Perth. And, you know, like, to be honest, it's true. Good on um, the likes of Sam Kerr finally getting to spend some some time at home um it makes you wonder why they uh chose to i know why they would have there's commercial reasons they was wanting to get a result in those games against new zealand where players were probably already under a fair bit of club related fatigue they opted to fly them all all the way back here but yeah i mean at the end of the day the, the science tells a lot doesn't it you don't need these players breaking down and if it be that um, physically or mentally, um, they all clear, as you say, Sam. They clearly need breaks. It's a, it's a shame about the timing. You wonder was there another way they could have done this? Could they have been rested earlier um, and and play in this series? But um, I mean, that's not the case clearly. So we, as you say, we won't see some of those those big names, which is a shame. I think the the real selling point for a lot of people in that Spain game was, you know, Pateas and Hermoso on one team, Sam Kerr on the other. But as you say, it does open the door for a lot of young players to come in. And I think that was the other side of the coin that really surprised us. So I think there's as many as five potential debutants in this this squad. Um, I'll run through a few names for you, Sam. Mm. So Jacinta Galabadarachi is one. Mackenzie Hawksby. uh, Winona Heatley. Matilda McNamara. Taylor Ray. Um, all uncapped players. Um, mm-hmm. And in the case of um, Hawksby and Ray and McNamara, their first camp all together. So Taylor Ray obviously was going to be in that training camp leading into the Asian Cup when she got the worst time bout of COVID <laughs> that she possibly could have ever gotten. Yeah, poor dear. Um, yeah. But, you know, you look at this, this team, you look at this squad, 
It's a lot of players who I think we were calling for maybe to be included in those last games against New Zealand. You look at your Angie Beards, you look at your um, your Mackenzie Hawksby is a great example. Taylor Ray, I think we were surprised. Um, I reckon there's some names there that you'd be pretty excited to see. Sam, who who did you like the look of? Well, as an unashamed uh, uh, Sydney FC fan, I got to say, seeing six Sydney FC dub players in this squad is pretty sensational. So we've got Mackenzie Hawksby, who we've spoken about before, absolutely deserves this kind mm. of call up. Taylor Ray, who has really come into her own since taking over from Teresa Polias at the base of midfield, really classic number six player who I absolutely adore. We've also got uh, Remy Seamson, of course, who's coming back. She's currently in Sweden and, and, and playing good minutes. So she's sort of taking her game to the next level. Um, we've got Courtney Vine, who's also coming back as well after being voted uh, player of the season or I think one of the player of the season awards at the Sydney FC uh, annual gala and Princess Sabini Isse who we haven't seen in senior Matildas for quite a while but again she's had a really sizzling season with the Sky Blues and uh, and, it, and finally Rachel Lowe as well coming on even though she was more of a sort of a bench player for Sydney this year towards the back end of the season, I think she really came into her own. She really stood up when a couple of those players were, were, were elsewhere, in particular overseas, the Asian Cup. So I'm so thrilled for all of these players. I think all mm. of them deserve it. One player who I am surprised from Sydney FC that didn't get a call-up is actually Charlotte McLean, the centre-back. I thought she had a really, really outstanding season, even though she is very early into her sort of senior professional career. I think her and Nat Tobin as the two centre-backs for Sydney were extraordinary. And considering the other sort of debutante we've got is Matilda McNamara from Adelaide United, we sort of put the two of them on a, on a comparison scale. I probably would have gone with Charlotte McLean, not just because I'm a Sydney fan, but because I think she uh, had a more consistent defensive season than what McNamara did. But we also don't know how they perform in terms of training environments and things like that. And McNamara has been called up to sort of camps with the national teams in the past. So perhaps she shows something to the staff members in that way that maybe McLean doesn't. And I think Matilda McNamara really improved as the season went on. I think she had a couple of howlers by her standards, yeah. by her standards, at least. She set very lofty standards last season. And yeah. um, at the start of the most, re- sorry, at the start of the, I meant the 20, 2021 season, she set some very lofty standards and, um, at the start of the season just gone, I think she had a couple of bad games by her standards lifted. I'm really happy to see Winona Heatley in there because I think she was arguably the standout defender. Definitely. Um, in that, especially in that Melbourne City lineup. She can play in a back three, she can play in a back four, she can play wide, play centrally, um, has played on the left, um, even though I don't think she is a lefty. She um I think she's really classy. Rado Vitas was just pumping her up <laughs> every week and couldn't believe it at times when she wasn't in the in Matilda's squads, and she, of course, went um, and did that pre-Asian Cup training camp as well. So I think it was very much on the periphery and um, was one we were disappointed not to see in that New Zealand New Zealand squad. So really excited to see her. I'm glad to see Angie Beard back in the squad. For me, yeah. it was absolute no-brainer, and we were all quite shocked that she wasn't in that squad against New Zealand um, mm. or even the Asian Cup squad because ready-made, player with a lot of um, National League games under her belt, versatile. Um, and I think we're going to see, well, I hope we do see at some point her and Courtney Nevin in that same backline because Courtney Nevin has been on absolute fire yeah, in Sweden. In She's Sweden. scoring goals, um, roaming up and down the pitch, looks like 
a net, you know a completely different player almost to the player that maybe had some confidence issues um, early at Melbourne Victory has really kicked on there, which is exciting. Another player I'm really excited to see is Amy Sayer, who has just been, mm. uh, you know, plugging away at, at college football in, in Stanford. And um, from what I understand, it's been quite difficult to sort of get a release because of the, the college system and the various intricacies of that. But she is back in the frame, um, very classy, I think has really kicked on being over in the US as the experience has been really good for her, much as it was for Tegan Micah. Those four mm. years sort of have really rounded her out as, as a player in person and she's really enjoyed that. Um, so it'll be good to see some of those names there. They, just to touch on Mackenzie Hawksby as well, Sam, I spoke to her um, and she's very much been driven by seeing her former teammate Claire Wheeler kick on, like as a player who's a little bit older, not old, but like 22, 23, sort of wondered would this opportunity come, had a really big domestic season and has absolutely earned this opportunity off the back of it. So um, she also told me that she was really excited at potentially getting to play with Katrina Gorey. So <laughs> that was the one player she really hoped to be able to play with just because of the way Minnie goes about her work. So I love that. And we saw all those players combined so well, Sam. Um, Hawksby, I think, really stepped up with Wheeler going. She showed a bit yeah. last year. But Wheeler, it's funny, as much as she sort of modelled her rise on Claire Wheeler, I think the opportunity actually really came for her once Wheeler had left because we know how hardworking Claire is and Mackenzie as well. Mackenzie's a unique midfielder. She, with the way she likes to get forward and the way she mm. moves around the park, she's a, a different, I think, a different quantity to what we've got with our other midfielders. So that's why I'm quite excited to see what she can deliver. And we know that Ante Juric was pushing for her with just about every squad. So I don't know why <laughs> Mackenzie Hawksby's not there. Oh, personally, if, if yeah, Mackenzie Hawksby has been the informed player. And at one point, I think she was leading the golden boot. Like, so she can score goals. Yeah, she's not afraid to step up and take take penalties. She's got a bit of aggro about her. I think that's a really good squad inclusion. And players like her and and Ray um, are the sort that make you earn it every bit of the way. So it's it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah 100%. And, uh, like, we, I can't talk highly enough of Mackenzie Hawksby. I think she finished the season as well as the most creative player in addition to scoring a whole bunch mm, of yeah, goals, she had the, the sort of the, yeah, she was top of the leaderboard in terms of the like major chances created. She's also really, really good on set pieces. And that's the big thing I asked her as well, like taking like what, what sort of helped her take the step up in this most recent season. And she actually said the absence of Teresa Polias from corners was something that she sort of took the opportunity to step up and to really focus on. And by the end of the season, she was sending them in from corners and, and set pieces. So I'm just, yeah, I'm so thrilled for Maka. She's going to have such a great experience alongside some of these more seasoned players. And that's perhaps a good a good sort of segue to talk about the fact that not all the senior players are missing. We've got Katrina Gorey there. We've got Claire Polkinghorne there. We've got the three senior starting goalkeepers as well, Lydia Williams, Mackenzie Arnold and Tegan Micah. And we've also got Emily Van Egmont, who's getting really good minutes with San Diego Wave mm. over in the NWSL. Playing really well there, and I think. Making up. Playing really well, Tamika Yallop and, and Emily Gilnick as well from, from the FAWSL. So they haven't really been getting that many minutes compared to some of their uh, more senior counterparts. But it's good to see that they're still going to be quite a senior spine in this mm. team and they can sort of be complemented by the more inexperienced players around them. So I think that's probably the best approach to something like this. You don't want to just throw a whole bunch of kids no. onto the field and hope that they swim. You want to sort of gradually, you know, blood them and, and bring them into that sort of environment so that the senior players can show 
show these younger ones what standard is is required for this kind of level of football. So that's what's really excites me. And, and in addition to, I suppose, Mackenzie Hawksby, the other player who I think a lot of people have been crying out for has been Jacinta Galbatarachi. Uh, she has just had a cracking season with Celtic over in Scotland. She was named Young Player of the Year. She was Scot- She was Celtics Player of the Year as well. Uh, Harrow, you and I sat down and interviewed her a couple of days ago. Um, and she seems for the really the first time in her career, really settled with her club football. She's jumped around a whole bunch. She went from Melbourne mm. City to Perth in Australia. She went to West Ham. She went to Napoli. And now she's finally landed uh, in Celtic. And she spoke a lot about to us uh, how her style of play has really been um, fostered and nourished at Celtic, which is maybe yeah. something she didn't feel she got at other clubs. And she identifies herself as um, being a very technical player, more sort of a South American style, ball to feet, um, lots of dribbling, lots of taking players on one-on-one, that sort of stuff. And so that's, I think, something that I'm really looking forward to seeing if she gets an opportunity is whether she can actually take that style of football to Spain of all nations. The thing I liked about our chat with Jacinta was, and I asked her about this earlier, Sam, how it Celtic actually matured her as a player because often you do see it with young technical players is, you know, they've got the tricks, they've got the fun things, and then they come up against the season pro and just get often, to be honest, put on their ass or like have the ball taken <laughs> off them or they yeah. can't go, they don't have the legs. And that was actually something she said that coming to Celtic forced her. And I imagine Scottish football, those girls don't hold back. Like oh, yeah. the physicality. And she said learning the running, the hard work, physicality, the aggression, just putting your head down and, and going for it were things that she really had to work on. And that that made, she said she's a far more well-rounded and complete player than she was before she arrived. Um, I think it, it's fair for people to have questions over the standard of the Scottish League because obviously a lot of the best players do leave. They go south or they go overseas. Mm. But as a young player, the most important thing, right, is to be getting minutes. She's getting minutes. She's settled. She really loves playing under Fran Alonso who um, Spanish, she said that he, as you say, Sam, really embraced her style of play, told her to, you know, be herself while also instilling maybe some of those other values playing-wise. And it's been a really good experience for her. She's signed on for another year. She's settled, um, which is what we want to see. We want to see players. And we saw previously, I think, Aoife Colville, who now has switched allegiances to Ireland, also got a really good experience at, but it was at um, Glasgow City, like playing in Scotland, playing consistently. So this sort of thing can be invaluable for a young player. Um, I mean, the big question over Jacinta is we know that she is eligible for three countries, Australia, Argentina and Italy. Um, The impression I got, I think you got the same, Sam, she's still very much keeping her options open and initially did that because she went, well, I haven't been called by Australia for a long time. So if I want to play internationally, I've got to look elsewhere. I get the impression she's not fully set. Australia certainly seems to be the preference. And I imagine if she gets the chance to make her debut, that will be, having played for junior and young Matildas, that'll be huge. But I think there's there's still a, yeah, a bit of a, a way to go there, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. It sort of reminds me of the situation with Mary Fowler a couple of years ago where people were sort of like, we can see the talent that this young player has, but when is she going to be given a shot? And what is going to be the nature of that shot as well. Like when Mary was finally sort of given a go, she blossomed and she really connected with the players around her. I think having senior players like Sammy and, and, and Kate and, and Steph around her to, 
give her that confidence and to make her feel like she belonged there and that she was wanted there and that her style of football um, was something that they really wanted. I think that is sort of what Jacinta perhaps is is going to need as well because she's also still quite young. You have to remember she's only in her early 20s. So, like, you don't have to, I don't think the Matildas need to sell themselves to Jacinta, but I think creating an environment where... Um, she, uh, what she can offer um, is is known to her, and that she feels that she contributes to this larger project. I think is um, part of perhaps the the idea of this camp and bringing her into this camp, and it's also perhaps part of the idea of calling her up for the AFF uh, Championships in in Southeast Asia. I think that's a another really interesting um, squad that's been put together by. Uh, Mel Andriana, so senior Matilda's assistant coach. She'll be the head coach for this uh, for this AFF championship, as well as Leah Blaney, who's the head coach of the Young Matildas. So that squad um, has a bunch of players who are going to be taking part in Spain and Portugal friendlies, and it's a good reminder of you know when uh, when Football Australia sort of announces all these different government funding packages, like ten million dollars for high performance, blah blah blah. These are the kinds of camps and and programs and tournaments that that funding goes to so they've called up a 35 player preliminary squad for the AFF championships um it's not a Matilda squad I think it's important to um distinguish between them it's not a Matilda squad it's an Australian representative side which means that the players who are going to take the field in the Philippines won't be given caps um, but it's all part of the larger project of creating a, a pathway for the senior Matildas. And part of that pathway is hopefully the establishment of an under 23s team moving forward. So we've got a bracket in between the young Matildas and the senior side, which gives more match minutes, more international experience to players coming through that pathway. So it's going to be a really interesting experience to watch that, um, to watch that team, particularly given some of the younger players who've been called up as well. It's about time, isn't it, Sam? Like, let's be brutally honest. Like, yeah. the yeah. US, who are, I think the the standard setters have had an under-23 team for such a long time, and you can see the benefit. They they reap the rewards of if players aren't, you know, quite at the level in – or not, not necessarily at the level, but not ready to regularly feature in the US women's national team, they play in the 23s. You see this in men's football. Like, you look at the Ollie Roos, for example. Um, mm. it's, it's a natural – situation to have like players like Mackenzie Hawksby, for example, in an ideal world would have racked up plenty of under 23s appearances, under 20s and yep. under 23s appearances before coming in. We we saw that like ideally say Courtney Nevin and Jess Nash and that were playing, you know, would be getting lots of games for 23s. Um, and I think keeping some of these experienced players in here sort of is a point to, we don't want to see another situation like, like the Nash and Nevin centre-back uh, pairing against the US, which was, you know, yep. in hindsight, clearly a mistake. Um, just to touch on Jacinta one more time. I think the other thing is it's the first time she's been called into this environment for a long time. More than anything else, I guess it gives them an opportunity to see how much she's grown beyond looking at what they can necessarily do f- for her. It's like, to be brutally honest about some of these players, it's seeing what can they do in the environment? Are they up to the standard? How far off are they? Do you have some diamonds in the rough? Do you have some players like we saw Claire Wheeler didn't take very long at all to, to settle in. Holly McNamara, the same. And yep. um, these sorts of players can really settle in straight away or they can need a bit more time. So it's a good chance to get an assessment. Should it have happened earlier? Probably, yes. Probably that New Zealand um, window was a good chance to test out a few of these players. But it is still good to see some of them. Uh, the one that was quite curious, Sam, we talked about it pre-recording, Larissa Crummer, uh, first mm. call-up since before she 
had that horrific leg break in, um, I think it was January 2019. Um, I think it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a feel good story. I don't think she necessarily had the best season in the A-League women. She's still been coming back from that injury. We know it can take time for players to, to settle in. I don't mind it though, in terms of bringing in a player who you know has been at the level before is still only what 24, 25 has done the job before lack of center forward options here worth a look. Yeah, I mean, everyone's worth a look, I reckon. Um, and clearly the coaching staff have seen something in Larissa Crummer's season, uh, not just with Brisbane, but also at the moment up in uh, Queensland MPL that has warranted her coming into the fold. Um, I do think it's important that we try to diversify our strike options mm. because one of the biggest criticisms over the past, probably not even just the past year, but um, a couple of years now is that we over-rely on Sam Kerr which in some games, yes. In some games, no. You can sort of understand why they look to Sam Kerr. She's probably the greatest striker in the world at the moment. So, like, why wouldn't you want to get the ball to her as often as you can? But in her absence in these friendlies, I think this is the absolute best opportunity to see who else is there. So Larissa Crummer comes in. I think she's a different kind of player to a Remy Seamson, for example. I think she's a little bit more athletic. I think that she... Um, again, has more experience and she's able to combine in different kinds of ways. Though I think Remy Seamson has absolutely improved over the last two seasons with Sydney FC and she's really um, become a much more multifaceted sort of classic number nine. She drops a little bit deeper. She likes the link-up play. She just needs to be more clinical. She didn't really score that many goals for Sydney this season. So maybe that was part of the thinking as well, trying to bring in a Larissa Crummer who had lots of chances for Brisbane but didn't really uh, convert very many of them. Mm. Um, but in addition to that, we've also got Emily Gilnick who's coming in. She's been played as a number nine for Aston Villa. Again, not really sort of taking that opportunity with both hands, not really scoring that many goals. Um, so, yeah, so it'll be it'll be really curious to see the way that, that Gustafsson and the coaching staff um, want to deploy these players, how they want to use them. It's one of the reasons why as well I'm a little bit surprised that Mary Fowler is not in this team mm. because Fowler sort of seems like the, 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 the heir apparent to Sam Kerr in that number nine role. Um, but maybe the way that we've seen her deployed in Matilda's is sort of more of a false nine or it's more of a winger or even ten. even more of a 10. Yeah, even more of a 10. So, yeah, so that'll be sort of the, the really curious aspect for me. And I think maybe part of the reason for the decision-making behind it is that the coaching staff do want to show uh, the critics who say that Sam Kerr is uh, too heavily relied upon that the Matildas are thinking more broadly and they are trying to find who is the next best number nine. Kind of disappointed we're not seeing Melina Rez in here. Um, if we're looking yeah. at, you know, players, I know she had the injury, but her end to the A-League women's season after coming back from that injury was superb. I know she's in Iceland at the moment. Um, just if we're looking at strikers, like Crummer is clearly a speculative choice. Why not pull another one in, right? Um, I, th- I would have liked to have seen, I would have liked to have seen Ayers in there just for anything, just to see where she's at. Um, big couple of games for Charlie Grant we have to mention as well with Ellie Carpenter Ellie Carpenter clearly based on this squad selection would probably have been rested anyway if she hadn't copped the dreaded ACL tear um which is yeah upsetting um but a big couple of games to come for for Charlie Grant having a look at this squad not a heap of uh right back cover (laughs) which you wonder could they have looked at it you mentioned Charlie Rule Polly Doran another one um a couple of there's just 
a couple of examples. We saw Beatty Goad previously called up, who just doesn't appear to be in the frame at the moment. Um, I'm surprised they didn't maybe look at her, given she has been playing in Spain at Tenerife, I think, recently. Mm. Um, and the other one that you mentioned kind of surprised you that was in the um, the AFF squad, but not in this Matilda one, was Chelsea Dorber. And maybe that's just a matter of she needs, she's only just starting to get some minutes um, in the NWSL, maybe just uh, let, her, let her settle there a little bit. But yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's an interesting squad, Sam. It is. It's a really interesting squad. And I, I feel like it's, on the one hand, yes, it's surprising, but on the other hand, I'm really kind of glad to see that this is the squad that's been chosen because it shows that for players who are on the fringes, players who are trying really, really hard, they're taking themselves off overseas, they're doing everything mm. that's being asked of them, that the door isn't closed, that there are still opportunities for them to be called up to these squads and that you may be a late bloomer and that's fine. There's going to be an opportunity for you. And it is in in sort of, and I wrote this in my, um, my story for ABC as well, Tony Gustafson said in April that this year would be spent sort of narrowing the focus, honing in on the squad who he thinks will be most likely to go to the Women's World Cup next year. And so in comparison to that sort of um, approach, this squad doesn't really gel. But in saying that, they're listening to sports science. They're listening to the players themselves who are saying we need a break. And I think that should absolutely take priority over sticking to something that you said a couple of months ago, because if players themselves are unhappy, if players themselves are injured, if players themselves are feeling like they can't give everything to the national team, then I think the national team staff and everyone who makes these decisions needs to act in accordance to players' wishes because players are ultimately the team players are ultimately the thing we see on the field. And so having this player centered approach, I think is really, really important. I don't want to say it's a, it's a backflip. Um, I think it's more a walking back. Um, and I wonder how much of the feed, how much of that has come in terms of other feedback with around selection. But I think we've talked about this, Sam, especially in the wake of the Asian cup. No one like Sam Kerr, there's probably a few that are exceptions, right? But no, effectively, no one should feel guaranteed a spot. Um, and yeah. you should always feel like there's competition for places. It's something that the US Women's National Team in particular has done so well for so long. And it's been interesting looking at the Euros and seeing the discussion um, around Steph Houghton, who's barely played, um, and whether she'll be in that England squad or whether they move on and you play players who've been informed. Like, I think that's it's, what I mean is the sort of discussion that happens with every national team. And I think what's exciting here and what maybe... Um, I know that there's the level of the sports science, like you say, but it's maybe something that they've learned from the New Zealand games. It is a good thing to have players putting their hand up, to have competition for spots, to not just have these players feel like they can make it, but to put pressure on senior players. The ideal result here, even if there isn't a win, you know, you want you want a solid result out of these friendlies, is that some players put their hand up and make themselves counted, right? Like if Angie Beard, for example, has a big game out on the left side, you go, well, that's someone we have to look at. If... You know, say a Courtney Viner or Remy Simpson can score their first goals, fantastic. If someone like Amy Sayer, Taylor Ray, Taylor Mackenzie Hawksby stands up in midfield and go, like Alex Chidiak did against New Zealand, like mm-hmm. Katrina Gorey's done at six, fantastic. The more depth, the better, because yes. you can't just have this spine that's where we've got caught out is 
having as good as some of these players are, a very sort of predictable spine and players in key places. The more competition for places, the better. And that's where you talk about the AFF with those under-23s getting, I think it's under-23s plus Larissa Crummer is the makeup of that squad, getting more game time, playing together, showing what they can do. I think that's that's what we want to see. And, yeah, not all of these players are going to be in contention come 2023, but at least, you know, they get a chance to put their hand up. I, I was, like, thinking, and we were talking about it pre-pod, had Ali Green not uh, changed his allegiances, would she have been in this squad? I reckon she's a good chance to maybe have been at least in the fringes of this one. Different situation. She's a New Zealand player now. Um, a couple of names who aren't there, Sam. Carly Rossbacken, I saw it looks like she's had another round of, if not surgery, injury-related stuff. And India Paige Riley um, in her mm. Instagram after finishing the season with Fortuna Curing actually said about time to rest up and get my ankle right. So I think there's a couple of... Um, not necessarily selection-related absences, but definitely injury-related absences. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, outside of this sort of crop of players, it's always important, I think, to ask, all right, well, who else is there? Who else is there who is ticking the kinds of boxes that Gustafsson and the coaching staff are asking these players to be ticking in order to make this team? Are they playing overseas? Are they playing regularly? Are they playing at a high-quality league? Are they getting minutes? You know, these kinds of things they really do factor into the kinds of decision-making at this level. You know, even if people back home who don't pay attention to women's football overseas are saying, well, where is this player? Where is this player? Got to make sure that you've actually watched them and you actually know that they're qualifying according to the rules that Gustafson has set for these players in order to step up to this level. You can't go from sitting on the bench for the past six weeks to all of a sudden playing international level football. That's not how this works. So, I think given the the context of everything, given injuries, given um, the feedback from the sports science team, given the lack or or thereof of of match minutes for other players, I think this is is the kind of squad that you see. And it's revealing of um, not just of the growing depth that we have, but also the work that Australian football still has to do in order to continue to build that depth. And you know, when we look at, um, you know, pivoting back to the AFF uh, squad, the 35 players there, who um, I think are just over a month from that tournament, which starts in early July, uh, a lot of them will be going to the under-20s Women's World Cup in Costa Rica in August. So this is a crop of players who we should also be paying attention to quite seriously because post-2023, these are going to be the players who are stepping up into that next age bracket. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, again, we've... We'll quantify all this by saying A-League women's needs to be extended, all that sort of stuff. Like Australian football has a long way to go in this respect, not just in the women's, but also in the men's. Um, But hopefully these are the moments where we really get to see the glimmers of young players taking their opportunities. Um, As you say, Harrow, diamonds in the rough, players who, if they're given that chance, are able to take it with both hands and and reach the potential that they have always believed that they've had. Because outside of these sort of really high-profile international windows for fans, for media, for coaches, for clubs around the world as well who might be scouting for Australian players, you know, these are the moments that really count. And so I'm, I'm really hoping, I'm crossing all of my limbs that these, particularly these younger players, these debutants are able to get some really good minutes and to show that they have something more to give so that they can continue to kick on with their careers somewhere else. Sam, I'm going to throw three questions at you. You just have to respond with a name, no justification. Goalkeeper against Spain. 
Keegan Marker. Player you're most excited to see. Mackenzie Hawksby. Who do you think we most is most important for us to see? Who do we need most to step up? Emily Gilnick. I like yeah. it. Yeah. I'll, I'll do I'll I'll repeat. Uh goalkeeper. Tegan Micah. But I think they'll go with Lydia Williams for the first mm. game. Uh most excited to see. Ooh. Amy Sayer. Mm. Most important to step up. Charlie Grant. Ooh, yeah, nice one. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's we haven't really <laughs> talked about Ellie Carpenter yet, have we? I feel like I'm still a little bit traumatised and I sort of just, I'm just like putting it over to that side of my brain so I don't have to think about it. But, like, we watched the Champions League final. We saw her go down. I was, I just like all the blood drained from my face when I saw her screaming there in, in the grass. And, again, it was one of those moments where you're like, oh no, who do we have who can replace Ellie Carpenter for the next eight to 12 months? And Charlie Grant, to her absolute credit and to the credit of Football Australia staff and Matilda staff as well, they seem to have been gradually introducing Charlie into that role just in case something like this were to happen. <laughs> well, more importantly, she's getting minutes now in Sweden, which can yes. give you a lot more confidence that we maybe had um a few months ago um and again it points to you know the worst possible thing that could happen to the Matildas is something happening to Sam Kerr right so which is why we Mm -hmm. need to see as many options as possible I think that points to the crux of maybe what we're seeing here lots of midfielders again not so defender heavy a few different forwards hopefully we see a few players step up um just wrap it up with a bit of news we had the young Matildas lost 2-1 to New Zealand but also Matildas are coming back on home soil, Sam. They're going to play Canada for two games. One of those is in Sydney. Uh, Woohoo! I'm shocked, um, <laughs> but that will be, but that will be as part of um, the Sydney Football Stadium or Alliance re um, opening. And we got to see the incredible scenes of multiple sports claiming in which way they were the first team organization international sport football team to open that stadium. Either way, it doesn't matter. Matildas are going to be playing Canada there. Um, I think that just about is enough from us, isn't it, Sam? People yeah, might have heard our so. voices enough. I think <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> nearly as badly as a bin fire as what I expected. This is great. Ah, there we go. So the exciting thing is we're not too far away from some Tilly's football. We'll see uh, Spain versus Australia. Um, local time, it's Saturday 25th of June or it's Sunday 26th of June, Australian time. That's 5.30 in the morning, Australian time, which is a bit cute on a Sunday morning at the Estadio Nuevo Colombino in Huelva. And then three days later, Portugal, uh, 6am Wednesday, 29th of June, local time. That's 9pm, sorry, Wednesday, 29th of June, Australian time, 6am. Not quite so bad. So that's the Estadio Antonio Conrad de Mota in Estoril. So uh, playing the world number seven first and the world number 29. Tilly's back in action. Some familiar faces, some fresh faces. We'll be covering it. We'll be uh, getting stuck into some reviews of those games. Um, hopefully next time we speak to you, we've got at least one more pod member, as much as I'm sure you enjoyed uh, hearing from just the two of us on this occasion. Samantha Lewis, thank you for your time. Thank you, Anna Harrington. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to everyone who's tuned in today. But until next time...
as Marissa would say, see us. See us.